Hi, everybody. Welcome on the Light Zone Data Show. Today, we're going to talk about all things holographic. We have some fascinating things that we're going to talk about with our guest. Today's guest does really fascinating work in the field of hologram technology. He is a partner at EventWorks 4D and has dedicated more than 20 years to developing media-rich special events, incorporating the latest technologies in holographic staging and design, sound, lighting, museum innovations, and video production. He has developed cutting-edge productions for corporate entertainment sports, and philanthropic organizations. But let's hear all about it directly from our wonderful guest, Joel Soloway. Welcome, Joel. Hey, thank you very much. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I am not a hologram. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a really, what can I say? If it was, um, it would be very interesting. <laughs> well, sooner or later, probably we're going to get probably. there Probably. Well. Yes. So how did you start this? Um, what was your journey and how did you get to to actually do this fascinating work? You know, it, it's a it, it's a, a long and winding path. Um, you know, I started off really as a sound designer and, you know, working in audio for visuals. You know, there was that that unique blending of the of the emerging of technology. So, you know, I had done a lot of um, commercial work, music production, um, and, and a lot of um, trade show audio. So hmm. once you saw how visuals could coordinate with, with pristine and dynamic audio, you realized that there's a, you know, a, a logical connection. So I moved from you know, audio engineering you know, that I spent you know, a gazillion years doing into sort of the, the blending of both. And in um, 2007, I had... Um, heard about you know, holographic projection technology that was really well conceived from an old Victorian, you know, trick back in the mm. 1800s. Yes. And a group out of the UK had really mastermind the use of a polymer optic foil to create a high definition um, visual of basically evolving from this old Victorian glass transparency mm -hmm. projection in theaters. And so uh, I went over to the UK, saw this. And uh, in fact, at the time, I think Disney was looking to try to buy the patents for this. And the company at the time didn't, didn't want to do it. But we became a reseller and a developer in the United States, really the first. Um, as it was, uh, we evolved the technology, and that company sort of went by the by the way. And we have continued to develop, you know, new, innovative, and real exciting um, interactive and emotional responses to holographic uh, projection. And now we do it, um, you know, I like to say better than than most. Or, you know, there's not very many people who actually can do what we do. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we have, a, we have a full holographic theater where people come from literally all over the, the country and the world to, to actually see it. Because unless you can fully comprehend the way it looks, even if you have a great idea, um, you don't really fully visualize until you come and see it. 
and that's that's kind of where we're at today. Wow. And, and Joel, is this is this really similar to to um, sort of this show that we've seen, you know, years ago? I mean, if you're a fan of Michael Jackson, you might recall this performance of sure. you know, this show that was performed really post mortem. And it was probably the first time that we all saw Michael Jackson perform on stage as a hologram. And he wasn't the only one. They had Tupac. They had, you know, other celebrities, Sune Houston, Marilyn Monroe, um, some being controversial on, on the usage of that hologram. Um, and just wondering from the audience if they recall this show at all, this performance, and, uh, you know, if they, they remember seeing this hologram or not. Well, you know, I think everybody everybody had seen it because it, this was the Billboard Awards. Mm. Um, and of course, Tupac in 2012, our current technical director with our company was the man behind the whole rigging of that, of, of that particular show. Um, as far as both Tupac and Michael Jackson and, and all the other ones, you know, that's, that's a, a design concept we, you know, we're calling digital resurrection. Where we're you know we're blending a yeah we're, we're blending a, a body double with a digital representation by mm. by um, really distinctive um, point mapping um, on a head and then you know through green screen conversion being able to um, marry the the head and the body um, to work seamlessly. Um, as you note, I think, you know, whatever controversy was um, around both of them is the fact that, you know, we all know that that's, we didn't bring anybody back from the dead. Um, it's the closest, you know, that, that we can do. Some are done really well. Some of them are, you know, look more gaming. You know, they don't have that realism in terms of um, facial texturing, proper lighting, and so on. Yeah. Michael Jackson, you know, was so unique because, let's face it, you know, the, the popularity of this and, and the venue was, was overwhelming um, to do that. But, you know, again, some people, or maybe a majority, loved it. And there were others who thought it was, you know, digital resurrection in general is very eerie very unsettling and a lot of other people just say you know why would you do something like that right you know joel i remember 25 plus years ago uh, I, I was in my teens and i i went with my parents to this museum and within the museum there was this just tiny room but on the walls they had these beautiful frames and within each frame there was a hologram which was kind of coming to light uh, to you as you were facing it straight mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit from the side. But it, there were mainly, um, I think, portraits and a lot of objects that were being represented. I, I know I was fascinated. I'm like, wow, this is really how the future is here, right? Have holograms really changed in, in any way, you know, in the past 20 plus years or so? Um, you know, it's the same thing. It's it's Pepper's Ghost. It's um... What's changed is the resolution, the ability to um, bring out to the public high definition 4K resolution, uh, as opposed to a transparency that is static that you would see in a in a museum um, application. I, I was always fascinated by that too, but that you know that again is is a is a reflection. You know, and you know we see reflections like that all the time. Sit in your car, you've got your window you know, put something on your dashboard and you're going to see it 
projected in your in your glass and it may be sitting on your hood which is exactly how this started mm-hmm. you know in the modern era um so uh, has it has it evolved uh technically yes conceptually no it is the you know it's the same magical trick that was done in the 1600s and in the you know 1800s um we just do it a little bit better <laughs> i hope after all these years so what was this used was it used back then because um, i think that it might be a little bit of a controversial reason well was it magic shows and- no it was it was theater you know mm-hmm. um, it was in it was in london and it really was projecting a ghostly image you know from under the stage where you had a, a person with a white sheet and then you you basically threw light at that individual and then with a glass that was at 45 degree angle you would see it on the stage as a as a ghost and that's exactly um kind of what we do today <laughs> really <laughs> we just we just do it um using some you know um small pixel pitch led screens or 4k dlp laser projectors you know at 30,000 lumens so you know the imagery is so incredibly um pristine to say the least it is it is definitely not ghostly and it is definitely not transparent it looks as good as we all look to each other i just wanted to to mention to our audience uh, just a fun fact about the hologram and sort of the origin of the word so apparently it comes from the two greek words holos and gamma holos meaning whole and gamma message, message. and do you do you feel uh, joel that through the usage of holograms you could maybe just deliver a, a richer message to the audience um you know i yeah we we do because we do it in in very dynamic ways but you know this technology gives us the ability to really produce uh, an emotional and interactive experience which helps to connect people mm-hmm. um and we do that very effectively now at both the Illinois um Holocaust Museum and Education Centers take a stand theater and the uh Dallas um Holocaust Museum and Human Rights Museum where we can have interactivity between a live audience and a hologram that's something that hasn't been done before and with our branding of a proprietary show control system we literally bring these holograms uh to life especially utilizing interactive voice technology um and i find it fascinating you know I'll go into those museums and sit there and just find it amazing and i want to put this up actually just shared this with us before the show is this from the museum is this um just a photograph from the museum yeah that that actually was our latest installation at the Dallas Holocaust Museum it's a brand new uh building with a you know a brand new new theater Uh that's Max Glauben who is a Holocaust survivor who actually lives in the Dallas area and um he's quite a celebrity right now he's a very sprite uh 90 plus year old who just loves being in the in the limelight even if he's not real um but yes right now at that museum you can s- actually 
stand up, look at that hologram, ask a question, and you will get an answer back in seconds in real time. Wow. And yeah, and that, and, and that hologram can answer probably well over 1,500 to 2,000 questions right now, including some modern era questions like where do you live? What's your favorite food? Who's your favorite football team? You know, we make sure that we make it relevant, not only to the historical perspective, but to how the individual um, is living or residing today. In fact, um, sadly, um, in Illinois, um, about a month ago, we lost our second Holocaust survivor. Um, those are the, the unfortunately the first two who had passed away. And interesting enough, the day of this one individual's funeral, he was actually teaching a class at the Illinois Holocaust Museum as a hologram. Mm. Wow. Um, so from a historical point of view, there is no better way to document history than by having the ability for us and future generations to actually talk to these individuals. So what, um, what okay, yeah, you, you want to put some, some comments? Well, I just wanted to say hello to our audience as well and uh, you know, ask them where, where are they joining us from. Um, and I know you guys are on holograms, but we have we have Andrew joining us from London, where I guess the ghost projections used to happen. We have Kate from New York City and Phil Black from Boston. And um, uh, we have here uh, Bogoba, and sorry if I'm, I'm mispronouncing your name, from Paris, and Jose from Mexico City, and Jesus from the Canary Islands. So Amazing. really all over the, the, the place. Kevin from New Jersey and the comments keep on coming in. And Scott Taylor here <laughs> wants to make sure that you are real. Is he, is he not? <laughs> I, I already pointed out that I was definitely <laughs> skin and bones. So regarding the work with the Holocaust Museum, what was the driver for that? I agree it's very impactful and it's a great way to preserve history, but the idea came from somewhere and I was wondering where from. Well, you know, I'd love to say it was, it was our idea, um, but, but it wasn't. We work with, the, uh, with Steven Spielberg's USC Shoah Foundation. Mm. Uh, they have been doing documentation of Holocaust survivors as well as other historical uh, individuals for years. Um, and they have a dimensions in testimony uh, application that they have used very successfully in museums in a two-dimensional um, point of reference where they use an 85-inch monitor, they use a laptop, and people can actually ask a question. And then through a... Um, uh, individual server, those answers are responded um, back. Um, what we did w through them was create an experiential theatrical experience using, you know, sound, lighting, staging, 360 degree visualization um, to create a museum experience unlike really anything that that you've ever, ever seen before. And so we now, again, pointing out that we have it in two, uh, two museums and look forward to, you know, having more developed as, as they, they build onto their uh, platform of museums as mm -hmm. well. Um, 
but it's but it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating way to bring survivor stories to life with with these holographic projections, um, and and having the ability to converse um, using you know our interactive voice technology. And that's fascinating as well, and how it makes it really more personable and that engagement with the audience that you're describing. As a result, and are you are you also gathering data from uh, from the audience and in terms of you know, how are they interacting? What type of questions are they asking? Is all of that being stored, converted into, you know, information that could be used for other installations as well? Um, you know, that is something that the Shoah Foundation does very effectively. Um, and, and like so many other um, AI applications, um, as people ask questions, the servers, the platform um, learns more, you know, whether it's through, you know, Watson or proprietary um, applications, um, you learn or the hologram learns to respond more effectively. Uh, and these are things and data that um, Shoah is very effective in, in analyzing and preserving the analytics and metrics of, of this right so besides museums where are holograms used um well that's that's the beauty of of what we do there's sort of an unlimited potential of opportunities for where and how uh, our applications can be used we have been very effective in corporate meetings um, we and, and any size, it could be from 50 people to 50,000 people. It, it really doesn't matter. They're used for you know uh, corporate meeting opening openings where you know you really want to energize an audience. Uh, they're used, and there's a there's a perfect example. Um, this particular you know this particular show was you know, right before COVID, so it was really the last big you know corporate. Uh, event that that we did. This was at the um, the Bellagio in Las Vegas for oh Horizon, which is a uh, Dublin-based um, pharmaceutical company that did mm -hmm. a, a big uh, product reveal for a new gout medicine. We did a, a fantastic five-minute mm -hmm. opening that incorporated multi-dimensional aspects of our technology. We had there was um, well over. 140, 150 LED tiles upstage. Wow. We had uh, a live performer who was performing uh, with himself times three. Uh, <laughs> there were other actors who were participating in this, and uh, alongside, you know, original music, sound design, and um, a very, very enthusiastic crowd that that really loved it. Um, and, and Joel, is this then? Uh, I, I think you had another photo here. Let me try and bring it up. Yeah, just that, you know, scanning the performer. Yeah, so so um, in both instances, yes, it was it, it was used to create the holographic imagery that you saw on the stage. Once we film it, and we film for holograms in a very unique and defining way. Everything has to be. In our case, we we use a black matte background you could green screen um, it's easier for us to sort of work in the black um, world 
we have distance between the upstage drape to give you that volumetric perspective. And we shoot cameras at a very, very precise and particular angle and distance so that the hologram effectively will appear on a stage, not tiptoed or look like they're pushed back. So it's very, very important for us to be as realistic as we possibly can. In fact, at a live event, when we have a hologram, we always have a live stage or a, a real stage um, because the last thing you'd want to do is have this gentleman you know, look like he's floating in air. So <laughs> we put him on the ground, we add a reflection to the base and they're grounded very, very um, effectively. Um, and lighting is, is very essential as well as clothing. Um, you know, we try to, if you wear dark clothing um, completely, then they sort of become transparent and disappear and all you have mm. is the human head. Um, so um, at the end of the day, this became really a signature, signature piece for us. Mm. Uh, what else? What are we yeah. seeing uh, here with the Hall of Fame? The latest greatest. This was just uh, ended on Sunday. So we produce um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame Festival in Canton, Ohio, which is always the start of the NFL season. Um, this is a little different application of what we did. This was the first year I was able to actually uh, engage in a conversation that, that allowed us to actually put up a holographic stage set for use for the gold jacket ceremony, as well as a very high profile fashion show and a round table for all the hall of famers. Um, this particular application uses a 3D hollow net, which is a sort of a sprayed particulate matter screen that allows you to have the same perspective of volumetric uh, design, um, even though it's direct projected. Um, from the front. We used a 30,000 lumen uh, Barco, a VDX, 30,000 lumen 4K DLP laser projector. And so that's something very bright, I, I would assume. Extremely bright. <laughs> and then what you see behind it is about 10 feet, or I think it's actually was about 10 or 12 feet behind it, was a drape that we uplight so that your eyes will continue to hunt for depth of field, that Z depth. Without yeah. that, everything would become flat and it would look like a, a standard video projection. Um, so we, we created um, about 20, 25 different animations for each particular part, including the introduction of all the players, the logo, as you see there, and some other creative elements. And you know, from what I've heard from, um, well, certain friends that have experienced these type of holograms in real life, they're saying that it's really undescribable, that the photos don't do them justice, that while you're there, it's it's just real. surreal. It's, yeah, you, you just want to touch. It's not surreal, it's real. It's real, exactly. <laughs> Unreal, real, yeah. You know, it's it's really funny. That That's that's very, very true. And this is why we always invite people to, to come to the, to the theater so they can see it. Everybody has a perception of what it would, you know, or should look like. But until you see it, you realize the realism, um, you know, the, the skin tones, the texturing, the lighting, the, the movement, um, the eye connection that you have between a hologram and yourself. And you realize that, wow, this, this could be very, very real. We had a case in point at one of the Holocaust museums that 
uh, an individual asked a question. And sometimes if the hologram hasn't learned that question yet, there's a sort of a, uh, a go-to response and it'll be something like, I'm sorry, I didn't understand your question. Would you please ask it again? Or it'll say something, I, sorry, I don't understand. So this person, instead of being very clear with a question, really kind of made it into a statement. So, so the um, AI interface um, couldn't really perceive it. And of course, the response was, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. This person in the audience was so uh, enthralled by the fact that they were talking to this hologram, they really perceived the person to be real. So she, so she says, I'm... I'm so sorry you didn't understand the question. I, I, I how, how should I? She's talking to this person. Mm -hmm. That's that's how the brain begins to assume this real identity with mm -hmm. these projections. So we know it works. You know, yes, they were very apologetic for not asking a question. So we actually have a kind of related question from Scott, who asks, "Do you ever not tell the audience?" To see that it's a hologram to see if they don't realize that? Um, no, I, I don't think so to that degree. However, saying that, like with the um, Horizon piece that we did, when we had that individual dancing, he started the performance as a hologram. And then two more of him came out and they were dancing. And then a fourth one came out and it was him. So now the audience really didn't know if who Which was, one? yeah, who was real. It's like the old mm -hmm. magic trick with the, the ball under the cup, you know, you're kind, mm -hmm. of, kind of going round and around. And then eventually they peeled off and all of a sudden um, what you thought was the real one the whole time turned out to be a hologram and he jumps up into the air and he's, he's just suspended in the air. And so people mm -hmm. are like, holy mackerel. So, um, you know, I think we leave it up to the individual to sort of assume that they're they're seeing a you know a holographic projection, um, and I also think that people are astute enough to know that you know it's it's not real, especially so, if you walk through them you know on the stage. Right. Right. What uh, does sorry? What does the four D stand for in Event Works four D? Yeah, that's the interesting concept. I mean, we kind of made that up. Um, <laughs> it's really, it kind of, it reflects the fact that we can do so many different adjunct technologies combined with, with holograms to make it more engaging for the audience. So again, all of a sudden, what was just a hologram becomes a synchronized or blended video on a um, screen upstage. So there's, you know, a second dimension. Then we add, you know, live performers to the hologram, which is sort of the 3D. And then the fourth, you know, the 4D is usually some sort of additional uh, imagery or props or something like that that we can we can add add to it. So we make it um, much more, I think, entertaining than just seeing, you know, like a hologram pop on the stage or pop out. You know, we make it into a basically a you know an entertainment show. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. 
very very entertainment show. Yeah. Um, why I asked is because I used to volunteer at the at the Vancouver Aquarium and we had a 4D theater, but the 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 fourth D was uh, was because we were um, they were splashing water at us. <laughs> right. So that that different was different smells. Different. Yeah, yeah, different smells. The tactile, you know, yeah, interaction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we sort of. I mean, we sort of do that, you know, by by incorporating you know additional lighting in the house, um, haze, different effects, things like that. And who knows, you know, who knows, you know, where where we go with it? Smell, taste. I mean, it's it's all uh, evolving. Yes. Jesus here was wondering, what is the most difficult part in performing this show? Is it the setup itself? Um, is there something during the show that you always need to watch out for? Is uh, it the, more the preparation, I guess, the scanning of the performance? All of the above. I, I, can, <laughs> tell, I, can, I can tell you one thing. The um, rigging for this is very, very... Um, detailed, sometimes very difficult. We deal with a optic polymer foil that is 100 microns. So it's about one 125th of an inch thick. It's like, it's like working with saran wrap to wrap your food and put it in your refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And we, we cut it to size. We have it on massive rollers and we actually have it um, milled for us exclusively out of from, uh, Mitsubishi out of Germany, and then it's sent to us. It's a unique milling process for this, uh, and we get it in bulk in a huge, huge rolls, and then we roll them out, you know, ten meters at a time, you know, whatever, onto a pipe, and then those go to the venues, and then we have to cut it to the size. So you have to be really, really precise because you could slice it incorrectly if you. Um, compromise a corner you can literally do a cross mm -hmm. blade and uh we're talking you know twenty five thirty thousand dollars a pop for you know uh an eight meter eight by four meter show uh for a big piece of plastic so we have to be extremely careful and then when we do rig it about every we have we have gripper bars and then every about i would say 20 inches or so, we put around 30 to 50 pounds of torque on the top, across the top and across the bottom. It sort of reminds me of, of a piano tuner. You know, they hit a middle C and they get it and then they go to the D and E and it's not quite right, or guitar tuning. That's the same thing, same thing we have to do. So we'll tweak a top, you know, couple spots to get a wrinkle out and then another one will pop up on the bottom and we go to the bottom and we find the right you know, ratchet strap to pull it until we get a 100% transparent screen that is completely invisible to the to the naked eye. So once we get past that and we rig it, then we take a sigh of relief. Then we have to worry that, you know, that the show works, you know, yeah. that the server fires, that yeah. all the cues work and stuff like that. So Do you need to have signs backstage? Hey, don't cross through here. It's a transparent film. You might oh, not see it. Oh, we've, we've had... Um, We've had accidents like that. Um, mm -hmm. I think there was a case, it's so strong, you know, because you mm -hmm. torque so much. I think years ago, I, it wasn't with us. I had been told with a group in London. I think a, I think a rigger or a, a stagehand didn't know and fell off the stage and bounced into the thing and like bounced back, you know, like a trampoline. Um, needless to say though, the foil was no good because you've lost the, the tension on it. But yeah, it's... Uh, 
it's very worrisome. You know, we look like a crime scene when we're rigging. <laughs> you know, everything is all about you know, do not enter, caution tape. You know, yeah, it gets a little scary. And I've even fallen. You know, it's like oh, oh my god, I almost stepped on this thing, <laughs> and I know better. I just wanted to uh, to share another fun fact with our audience, and that's about presumably the father of holography, or at least uh, the more modern version of holography. So past the Victorian times to the projections of the ghosts and all that stuff. Uh, he's, you know, apparently he worked on the improvement, um, Gab, uh, Dennis Gabor, who's, um, I forgot where he was from. I want to say Ukraine, but I'm, I'm not sure. I have to look this one up. But he worked on the improvement of um, the electronic microscope. Mm-hmm. And in, in his, you know, quest for seeking a better visualization, um, this kind of really led to the invention of re-holography. And from what I was reading, the basic basic idea was that for the perfect optical imaging, the total of all the information had to be used, hence the holos part of the hologram, not only the the amplitude. uh, And now it's really above my my, my head or what I'm saying, yes. (laughs) But um, yeah, Uh, and anyways, in in this matter, he was really able to complete this holospatial picture uh, that can be obtained. Uh, which was really, really interesting. And apparently he came up with this whole idea on how to do this and uh, while he was waiting to play for a tennis match on Easter Sunday, 1947. <laughs> yeah, so, and he, he did receive the Nobel Prize for his invention in, in 71. But I wonder, I, I wonder, um, uh, Joel, when when you started to work with this, or when you when you thought, okay, well, this is really we need to step into the hologram world a little bit more. Do you remember, you know, where you were? Where, when did this idea come to you? Um, you know, it's it's fascinating that you you bring this individual up because I think for years people have imagined the use of holograms. And it really wasn't until recently where you see through CGI in the motion pictures where you're starting to perceive that this is real. So what, you know, what he did, um, we're now seeing, you know, I think the first time we really saw it was in, you know, maybe Star Wars, then, you know, with yes. Princess Leia on the chessboard or whatever. Yeah. There was also um, a, a Tom Hanks film that, you know, most people said they never saw, which was uh, King for a Hologram. And I don't know if any of your viewers had ever ever seen that movie. It's not. I guess it's not one of Tom Hanks's most, you know, impressive films. But but in short, he was a salesperson for a holographic company in the United States that was selling uh, uh, telepresence, holographic telepresence, to the king of Saudi Arabia. The moral of the story was in their definition of holograms when they were demoing it, they had what looked like a regular projector that was mounted on a ceiling. And you see this beam of light, and then all of a sudden there was this holographic soccer player kicking a ball back and forth. And so after that movie came out, I got tons of phone calls. Oh, we want to put a we want to put a hologram in the middle of a room and we want to do it in the round. And it was like, you know, that was a movie. The technology doesn't exist. So to case in point, you know, in 1947, what you're seeing in the advent of holographic, true holographic signature is the fact that even today in 2021, you've got a few companies like Sony, uh, Samsung, who have looked at holographic, let's say true holograms, but have only been able to do it in its most simplistic 
state, almost like the way laser projection was, you know, where you would have stick figures. It didn't give you that full scope of visualization. So I, I think, you know, it's something that, you know, certainly I think the minds will be able to do this. Mm-hmm. The ability to project in the same resolution in 4K, 8K um, that we do in the projection world, uh, I think is a long time off. And, and truly, we are limited in scope because you know for the most part with pg you know now you know we do it in a proscenium style so it's a straight shot i've had clients and customers say could i could i like walk behind and see the back the answer of course is is no that being said through a partner in copenhagen you know uh who have developed um what they call the deep frame this is um real fiction they have the ability for a person to look through a window into an optic window and into real space. Mm-hmm. So if I'm looking through a glass and I'm looking at a um, big lobby of a science museum, I can see the people walking behind me, but I can also then project the solar system or planets or comets behind it. Mm-hmm. So I, so there's where you get the realism that you can create, but it's only in around a five foot by five foot um, footprint right now. But, um, you know, I, I, I would imagine, you know, um, innovation is just evolving, you know, by the minute. And we're working on some new innovative ideas as well um, that will shrink the footprint and allow holographic imagery to be in a hospital room or, you know, in a, in a lobby of a, of a hotel or any common space that will have a full projection without the need of having a projector like you see with these virtual assistants right now. So, so we're taking it, you know, we're taking it to the next level, but there's many, many levels to come yet. It's wonderful. Actually, you anticipated one of my questions, like what are the next steps? But before I, I have another question regarding the future of this, but before that, um, I want, I was curious, how did the pandemic affect um, what you do? Uh, well, I think like all businesses, it, it, it virtually shut us down. Uh, I shouldn't say virtually, completely, completely shut us down. We rely on audiences. We rely mm-hmm. on the ability to transform um, an experience to, to real people. Um, when the world shut down, live shows, as we all know, entertainment shut down, museums were closed and shuttered. Um, the one thing that we did do is we created a holographic display or a kiosk, COVID-related. I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> and it uses a holographic uh, DreamOck, which is a three-sided hologram. And then we built a automated um, disinfectant dispenser, mass dispenser, and temperature, infrared temperature. And the idea was to place these in in different locations where an individual, while they're standing in line, could also get an informative holographic presentation about, you know, COVID, COVID safety, protocols, and so on. Um, We finished it, and then, you know, the vaccine came out, and, you know, all of a sudden there wasn't a demand. But now with, you know, the new variant, um, you know, maybe people will once again want to deploy these. But it's 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 quite nice fact we actually have the video link on our on our website uh, it's called prevention in public which is across the header um, on our homepage. by any chance can you open the website 
because there are some very, I very can't, interesting. No, not right now. Uh, so everyone check some, uh, the website. Um, it's ew4d.com. Eventworks4d.com. Yes. Um, no, it's actually ew4d.com. Is the is the actual website? All right. Even easier. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I wanted to say that there are some very, very interesting images on um, uh, on the website. So definitely check it out. And my last last question is: What is um, what are the future uses of um, of holograms? So I was thinking about maybe something around education or medicine or even, you know, virtual phone calls, you know, just to create <laughs> the, uh, the feeling that people are in the room with you and so on. We, we've done both education and, and medicine. We currently have a theater at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, their IXL Center, and it is incredibly sophisticated. It makes my theater look very amateurish. <laughs> That's how much technology we put into that into that building. Um, they are using that for surgical um, in, interventions, surgical innovations, surgical training um, for physicians, where they can work in a in a with a three D model and sitting and watching. So you know, if you're in cardiology, they can. Amazing. You have a massively big heart, and we could extrapolate. Mm -hmm. The different layers of the atria and the ventricles and so on. So, oh so medicine is big. Um, again, um, I think holographic telepresence, where we can actually beam a physician or healthcare provider into a patient setting, is something that we'll, we're very close to to doing right now. In the education world, we've been working with Cisco. Uh, and because the, they have a whole education group and they are looking, you know, obviously to do the same sort of holographic telepresence using their codecs um, in, the, in the classroom, which is really, really interesting, not only just for education, but for anybody who has a holographic theater to be able to beam a person from anywhere into the world as a public speaker, as a, mm. as a, you know, a guest of something yeah. and have them on the stage where you can actually interact together. Um, you know, in real time, in real time, you know, when I say real time, I'm talking about 20, 22 milliseconds, which is wow. real time. When you think about satellite uplink downlink delays, when you watch the news, you know, mm -hmm. and they're, they're stepping on each other because they're the delays, this doesn't have that. This is like boom, boom. You know, um, we did we did just one case in point. We did a telepresence demo in our theater, and we had a um, uh, an illusionist from another um, another city in New York, and um, we had an audience, and he was doing magic tricks with people in our audience. And we had a handler, you know, doing the cards, and he says, "Oh, Bob, you know what is that? Oh, Ace of Spades! Boom, boom." You know, and I'm sitting there, I'm like mesmerized, you know. Well, it's like two magic tricks in one. Yeah. And in, in the entertainment sector, Scott is wondering if you're going to do anything with theme parks. Disney it really seems like a natural fit. Well, I can tell you, Scott, that, um, you know, Disney be became very aware of Pepper's Ghost years ago. Um, they were really one of the first to capture that transparent ghost-like at the original uh, Disneyland in Anaheim with, I think it was Pirates of the you know, Caribbean at the time, mm -hmm. using, using 
plates of glass and reflective of light. And again, as I mentioned earlier, um, they were interested in actually purchasing the original patents, um, which have actually, some of the original patents have actually now gone, you know, public domain. Um, so there's not that, that tight hold that there was back in the early 2000s. Um, so yes, I mean, Disney, Disney does uh, use it in a, in a different way you know, in a, in a different way. They're still very big on animatronics, but, but they have, um, they have um, casually utilized the, the technology as well in, in all their theme parks. Thank you, Joel. Well, again, I do My encourage pleasure. everybody to check out EventWorks, EventWorks 4D and EW4D.com. And please follow Joel Soloway on LinkedIn and uh, get in touch with him if you'd like to learn more information about holograms and especially what services Joel can help you with. Absolutely. We'd appreciate that <laughs> very much. Thank you so, so much, Joel. This is very, very interesting. Oh, I, my pleasure. I enjoyed it very I much. I found out so, so much today. So thank you very much for sharing. Thank you for doing this amazing work for uh, enhancing our reality. And thank you, everyone, for, for joining and for your amazing questions and for being here from all over the world. Thank you, everybody. Happy Thanks. Friday. Happy Friday. Have a beautiful Bye, weekend. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.